I've been to a few panels and workshops about building businesses and things and I always do the opposite of what they say I should do I don't have a plan I don't have a five-year goal you know I am just kind of working through my ideas every day and yeah and yeah I'm not totally I think I do have a side that's very entrepreneurial and organized um but really all the work I do is serving me in a way to know to know myself and to know who I am and what I wanted I don't know it's, it seems very uh self-centered but it is it is very therapeutic for me and also all the things that I thought I could never do I'm doing them which is interesting too I never thought I never in a million years thought I could work in some sort of artistic form. It still seems pretentious when I say it, but um, yeah, I admit it. I feel like I'm a little bit of an artist and I like it. And I never thought I could say that about myself. I always, I was surrounded, you know, my father, my brother painted. I had all these friends in bands, people that, friends that wrote books and poems. Like, And I just was like, okay, I'm going to business school. I'll just tag along because you guys are doing cool things and I'll just kind of absorb what you're doing but I never thought of myself as that and so I think what I do is for that to just kind of prove myself that I can do it and work through all my issues (laughs) hey everyone welcome to the we are photographers podcast from creative live I'm your host Kenna Klosterman bringing you true stories from behind the lens and behind the lives of your favorite photographers, filmmakers, and creative industry game changers. From their wins to their struggles, we get the real human stories about why they do what they do. I believe there is something to learn from everyone's story. So if you're ready to join us in the hustle, listen, get inspired, and discover why in the end the creative journey is all worth it. Aran Goyoaga is an author, food stylist, and photographer, educator, and professionally trained pastry chef. She is best known for her blog, Canel Evani, and her first book, Small Plates and Sweet Treats, A Family's Journey into Gluten-Free Cooking. If you're not already one of the 280,000 plus people following her gorgeous images and recipes, you'll want to go to Instagram right now and follow at Vani. Links are in the episode description on creativelive.com slash podcast. This premiere episode of We Are Photographers was recorded in front of a live studio audience in the Creative Live studios and broadcast for free live around the world as part of our first ever podcasting week conference, so be sure to check that out. In this episode, Anand takes us back to the Basque country where she grew up in her grandparents' pastry shop. She explains how her family wanted her to follow a different career path but her love of connecting with people through food drew her back. She's a self-taught photographer who learned about light from her father being a painter. Adan reveals that her relationship with food evolved from a secret eating disorder in her 20s to using food and cooking to heal herself and, as she says, figure out life through food. This is We Are Photographers with Adan Goyoaga, and this is her story. I, like you said, I grew up um, in the Basque Country. I lived there until I was 24. 
And so my maternal side, my grandparents were both pastry chefs and they opened a pastry shop in 1949, which is still run by my, now my cousins and my uncles. And so I grew up across the street from it and my mom worked front of the house. So basically all my day was spent there. I would go to school, I come home for lunch and I would eat at the pastry shop. Then we, in where I grew up, we had like a two hour lunch break. Of course we did. <laughs> and then we'd go back to school and then I'd come back and I'd spend more time in the pastry shop because that's where my mother was. And so I grew up um, always with people cooking professionally and also just to feed everybody else because my mother was the oldest of eight. So there was a lot of um, grandchildren and uncles and aunts and um, it was pretty idyllic actually. Um, I didn't know any different at the time, but now that I think back, I realized like how lucky I was to have this environment, which at times it felt really overwhelming too, because it's such a large family, um, a small town, but everybody knew us. And in fact, um, I was of the pastry, so people didn't really know my name or anything like maybe grownups, but they knew I was of the Ayarza family because I was part of the pastry shop. So, um, and it was always, um, how can I, I, to describe it, it really was about smells, you know, smell of milk simmering and uh, butter and cinnamon and vanilla. And, and that's why I called my blog Canela Vanilla, which is cinnamon and vanilla. Um, and although I loved spending time there, it never was something that my family uh, thought that I would do. Um, cooking was a humble job. Uh, and they always wanted me to go to university and study and travel abroad. And, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, when I was growing up, it was you either were a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or something that was respectable, right? And being a cook was kind of like, okay, you're just working class. And so it wasn't something to aspire to. And um, so I never even thought that that would be a path for me or a career later on, which it is now. But um, yeah, so that that was kind of my, so how I grew up. So what was then the point where you said, my family doesn't want me to go into cooking and follow the family business, but that actually is my true love? Or mm -hmm. what made you decide to go and become a pastry chef and kind of go against what they thought. So it wasn't really even as clear as they said, no, you're not going to be a pastry chef. It, it was never even spoken about. Um, I think it's something I picked up or sensed because everything they ever did was to, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to send you abroad so you learn English and then you're going to take these classes. And it was really very academic focused in my house. And so, and I had good grades. So I was expected to keep getting good grades and go to university. And so it wasn't that they ever said, no, you cannot do this. I never even manifested that that's what I wanted to do. But I think when I moved away, so I, when I was, I can't remember how old I was, 18, I went to university uh, 19. And I studied business and economics just because, it, again, it was the respectable thing to do when you didn't really know what you wanted to do. And so um, 
I hated it. I was a terrible student, which is which surprised me because I had always been a really good student. And I was always trying to get out of class. And I finally graduated. And um, then I moved to the U.S. I had an American boyfriend. And uh, we were sort of long distance for a while. And um, I decided to just follow him and hang out with him for a while in the U.S. And then I realized, well, you know, maybe I can stay. And in that time that I was away from my family, I realized, wow, I... I really miss cooking and I really miss cooking for so many people and being surrounded by so many people that cooked all the time and talked about food and I started cooking for myself. Um, I didn't know anybody besides my uh, boyfriend and so I just cooked and cooked and I remember I used to watch all these cooking shows and I bought Baking with Julia, the cookbook, <laughs> and I would sit with that book for hours and then I realized, you know, maybe this thing that I had been kind of taken for granted. I, I also wanted to be a part of that, and I wanted to be defined by what my family did. And so I decided, a few years um, after I moved to the U.S., I decided to go to culinary school um, in Florida, where, where I lived. And uh, so I did, and I was in school for two years. And while I was in school, I started working in restaurants and as a pastry cook. And then I ended up at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, and I worked there um, for three years um, until I had a baby, and then I and then I stopped. And that's when the whole transition started into blogging and to photography. Um, so food and blogging, what were the things that led me into photography? Which was going to be one of my questions, <laughs> because you have had such a personal and then familial connection to food. When did the, or what aspects of photography, what did that add on to your relationship with food? It's funny because I, I had never really, I mean, I, I had a camera when I was younger and I took photos, but never thought about light, never thought about composition. Um, my father is a painter, so he was a, like, we like to call him an engineer by day and painter by night. So he always was surrounded by art books, and he always talked about light, and he was always looking, he always had his, I, I wish... You know, people can't see it, but his, he always had this, how do you say this, when people kind of frame their eye with their fingers, and he was always looking at landscapes with, in that way and framing things. And I, I think I picked up things from him, but I never, not consciously. And so when I started blogging, I started writing recipes and uh, writing stories, and I realized the photos that I was taking of the food were terrible. We're not really conveying any emotion. Um, and I, I realized, you know, the power of the visual image, um, the company's words. Um, and so I really started paying attention to magazines and books. I started to kind of study light, how others, how others shoot. Compos I just started looking at the things that, I reacted to and thinking about them in ways of instead of oh that's pretty but why what is drawing me in and I think by observing and then trying and I and it's kind of what you said about what you were talking about with Drew 
about really doing the thing that you want to do every day. I got up every day and I was obsessed with writing a recipe and photographing it. And I spent so much time doing it. And um, so first, you know, it started as simple as like the mechanics of a camera, right? Understanding what is, how to manually expose, what is, where are all these elements that operate in a camera? And then from that, once I mastered that, then I started thinking about light as a stylistic tool, not just like, oh, I have this light and I'm going to use it, but how do you modify it? How do you, how can you really change a mood or how can you complement something through manipulating light? And, you know, there's so many things, right, that as a photographer, you have to know. And, and I think slowly I just, I was just really obsessed with it. And I didn't make any money. So it was really just because I wanted to learn it. I wanted to really live in the moment. But I never considered myself a photographer or an artist or all these things <laughs> that people talk about, the imposter sy syndrome. Yes. Why? Um, I don't, why? Well, because I, probably because I didn't have, have any training. And also because I knew, I always knew what good photography was. And I knew where I was. And I knew what the variance was between me and what I liked. You know, I appreciated that. And I, and I, I also, and you and I have had this conversation before, but the idea that, um, you know, it's the thing of fake it till you make it. I, and I, I understand that, and I know you have to kind of believe that you can do something, but I also think it's okay to know that you're not quite there and to be a little um, insecure and feel like you're still an apprentice, um, if that makes any sense. And I, and I, I kind of wanted to be in that space for a little bit. I Maybe because I'm European and Europeans are a little bit more like, oh, can I really do it? You know, a little bit, Americans are, I find are a little bit more assertive and aggressive in their <laughs> beliefs. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I don't feel like I'm an imposter anymore, but I did for a long time. I always thought, well, you know, there's so many people out there doing amazing things. But I think for me, what I realized is that I could do maybe not everything perfectly, but I could do a lot of the things. So I'm able to do, I'm able to produce a book on my own, you know, and, and do all the things that go into editorial aspect of food and photography, um, because I've done almost all of them, except for designing a book, a book about, yeah. So I'm hearing a couple of things. First of all, self-taught, self-directed, passionate, uh, which, yeah, please, uh, that has allowed you to accomplish what so many people would love to do publish their own cookbook not just you know with the recipes with the photos all of that but I also heard you talk a little bit about insecurities and letting go of them or embracing them and so I would like to to have you take me back to your love affair with food and um, this, we haven't yet talked about the fact that this is a, a gluten-free cookbook. Um, take me back to 
why gluten-free and mm. what, when did you discover that you needed to create a gluten-free lifestyle? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people that follow me don't even know that I don't use wheat and other gluten-containing grains. Um, I don't make it, I don't want to be known as, you know, I'm a gluten-free author, although I am. Um, I just, the truth is I, about 10 years ago, I got really ill and I started having all these autoimmune uh, diseases pop up and all these things. And for about nine months, I was totally debilitated um, by vertigo and I had thyroid disease and all these things were ringing in my ears. Um, I had just given birth to a baby and it was just, I was a mess. In fact, my parents had to fly uh, from the Basque Country in Spain to Florida where we live to basically drive me around, take me to appointments, hold me with the kids. And um, it was, a, I found a, a functional doctor who said, hey, maybe you have like food issues. And I thought, me? I mean, I'm a pastry chef and I grew up with gluten all my life. And uh, so we just did a bunch of tests and it turns out I have a gluten intolerance. But I don't really make it. I don't want it to be about that. You know, people talk about it and every time someone starts complaining about certain symptoms that I recognize, I'm like, hey, well, have you thought about this? But um, yeah, so I... Um, that's what I've been gluten-free for 10 years. Yeah, but before that, and I think that's where you're getting, maybe. Um, I had a secret eating disorder in my 20s. And so my food, my food, my relationship with food has always been a little bit like, you know, I love you and then I hate you and all these things. Very emotional. Um, and it's funny because I grew up surrounded by it. And uh, nobody else that I know in my family ever had any issues. It was just there, and it's, you know, very balanced. And um, somehow I um, I used it as a soothing thing and kind of depriving thing. But I think it's because I have a very perfectionist personality, and I think um, all of us very type A have a tendency to self-sabotage <laughs> so um yeah recently I started talking about that in the video series that you mentioned earlier a cook's remedy and uh not just that but just a lot of emotional um the emotional connotation of being human and your friends and the people you know and why we do why why we why we do what we do sorry um but yeah but but I feel like now I'm good <laughs> I just think it's such a, an amazing thing that somebody who had an eating disorder in her 20s has now, her whole life is, your whole life is food. And I think mm -hmm. that's really remarkable. But the remarkable part too is not just that emotional part, but that you have used that, that thing that was so painful as a healing tool as well. Mm -hmm. I believe that art can heal mm -hmm. and I see cooking as an art form. And so, um, I would love to, uh, segue then into your new book that you're working on, uh, because I've watched your, a cook's remedy series. I absolutely love learning more about who you are and your history and what, 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 why you do what you do in that, 
I think you say something like, I'm figuring life out Mm -hmm. through cooking and join me. So what is the landscape now and what is is the new book going to be about? Well, I think um, cooking is serves two purposes for me and I think most people one is very meditative is that how you say it? meditative um and it's very working with your hands I feel like it's really a great way to quench your anxiety and and relax and then also it is a love language like I am not good with uh who wrote that book about the five love languages was cooking part of that because I feel like uh gifting and all these things I'm not a good gifter um I'm pretty bad checking in with people um I can kind of isolate myself sometimes but um I'll cook food for everybody I know like I just want to show people that I care about them by cooking them food. So this book is a little bit about that. It has a, a the new book, it's a, has kind of a time where you spend by yourself. It, it flows through my day more or less of like time that I spend with my family, time that I spend alone, then time when we open up our home to other people. So it's always this like give and take you know, I give you some food and I cook for you and then I cook for myself and um, a little bit of that movement within food and emotion and the people in your life. Um, it's still, in fact, I have about six days left to turn in my manuscripts. So I'm still in it. And right now I'm doing a lot of te- technical writing and checking and making sure the recipes work perfectly. And um, and it, I still kind of need to pull myself out of the like the technical aspect of a book because it can be very technical and then feel what the spirit of it is and then in about a month I need to shoot it so there's like different parts within a book um and different sides of my brain that I'm using so uh right now it's all about making sure recipes work really well um and thinking about what the tone the whole tone is what aspect of that creative process excites you the most I like all of it when I've I started working on it about a year ago and I bought myself some moleskin like large moleskin uh notebooks and I started you know new pen and I started writing um taking photos and taping them to in the you know it's very uh ritualistic too and very organized because I I like order and rituals and repetition um so I love that and then once I pull myself out of that very linear uh, side of my brain kind of the methodical organized brain which is photography aspect I need to be a little bit more emotional about things and I also love so the most the photographers I admire the most are the ones where you can see them interacting with their subject um if that makes any sense, because I don't just want to photograph something that is naturally beautiful. Of course I do, but I don't want to just go to someone else's house and it's a beautiful decor and set up and then I just take a photo. That's not, nothing against that, but that's not, that's perhaps not why I don't call myself only a photographer, because I'm, I only use photography to convey an emotion and really share myself so I I like showing myself within the context of a photo if that makes sense whether it's 
I'm interacting with the food or I've moved the food in a way that you can see me or I'm shooting through things. Um, and that's a little bit more emotional aspect of working on a book. And I need to kind of make this shift pretty soon. Um, yeah, so I like all of it. Well, I think you, you probably have to like all of it to do all this yeah, work. Absolutely. Um, that you are, that's what's so beautiful about your photography is that it is an expression of you and you can feel that emotion in your images because you know that you've created the food, you've styled the food, and now the finishing piece is the capturing all of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, I think that's such a beautiful thing when you can put emotion not just into cooking, but into your photography as well. Yeah, and, and also I don't want it to be, I want a lot of movement in it, meaning I don't want it to be recipe overhead shot of the food. You know, I want to incorporate aspects of, I really am drawn to moments more so than also food and, you know, but that's what I do. And I understand people need to have visual cues of what a recipe looks like, but I, I, I'm so much more interested in, like the little nuances of like in a day, I want to show what my day looks like. People in my day moment, I don't know if I'm making sense. So I, I think about it. Not everything has to be overhead. There's got to be um, ingredients. There's got to be people. There's there, there's a lot of components that make you go into a story. It's almost like filmmaking. I, I think about a book as a film, like as a world that lives on its own a little bit. Um Without being absolutely, you know, fictional, because it, it is, you know, you want it to be a manifestation of how you actually cook and, and entertain and, you know, your friends. But um, I like a little bit of a world that exists on its own, too. I love the fact that this is a, I didn't quite realize that, that the book was a, a kind of a day in the life. Well, we'll see if my editor likes it. <laughs> what aspect, how does the book relate to the series, A Cook's Remedy, and are there aspects of this, sort of the healing aspect of food and what we consume? And I think that's such an important topic right now in mm -hmm. where we are in the world and kind of connecting that back to the emotional health, mental health and, and food. There are, um, well, so the first iteration of this book, I'm getting into like the nitty gritty of it, but the first iteration of the book was going to be called a cook's remedy. And it was taking from the series and the chapters were going to address different emotional aspects that I've felt in my life and, and recipes that reflected kind of like a remedy to those, whether, whether it was like feeling isolated or feeling, um, malnourished or, you know, all these things that we, or, or connecting with people, opening yourself up, up. Um, I think my editor felt it was a little bit trying to be too many things, memoir, cookbook, um, practical and I think the way my brain works is not very for the it's not very much for the masses in some ways to my detriment um I wish I were more in tune with what people actually want um you know and I know I know the people that follow me like what I do but um you know selling a book is you have to it is really 
also has to work and it has to make money. So um, then we took a bit of that emotional component out and um, then made it a little bit more utilitarian, which I also love. I love looking through a book that is practical. I want people to look through these recipes and, and not just like, oh, I love this world, blah, 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 but it feels really ethereal. I want it to be somewhat something that people go back to and and um i think we're we're gonna organize it as in a day so it's like morning food lunch you know baking with your hands everyday dinners dinners that you can make that they're a little bit more elaborate but you um have people over so um it's sort of like food and the all the aspects of how i work because i you know, I mean, I'm constantly cooking. Since I get up until I go to bed, I am cooking and doing dishes. <laughs> it's my life. Well, I I'm, I can't wait to to see that book um, when it does um, come out and see how you have tied that all together. But no doubt, just because of who you are as a person, that emotion will still be infused because it's infused in in everything that you that you do thank you and just your spirit as a person yeah and those that's the work I'm most interested in usually in other in other areas um like usually like small films where it's really about character study or um yeah I'm just really interested in people's perspective and what why they do what they do that's really always what drives me more so than the mechanics of it or um, how they do. I mean, I always want to know how people do what they do, but it's like, why? Why is more important to me? I'm really drawn into the whys of people. Um, I could talk to you all day, Erin, um, but I want to wrap up the conversation. So I want to make sure that everybody that's listening knows how they can follow you because you, like I said, you have a blog, you have an Instagram, you teach, um, you have books. Where's the best place for people to find you and connect with you? Um, well, I have a blog, which is, you know, 10 years old, um, and it's canelvanille.com. Well, canelvanille.com. Um I have to be honest, and I haven't updated the blog in about a year now, but Instagram is kind of the the place where you can find me um, and kind of follow what I'm doing. Um, the video series is called A Cook's Remedy, and I produced it with my friends Jen Ellie and Genevieve Pearson, who are amazing, and I love them. And it's on Vimeo or on my uh, portfolio website, erangoyuaga.com. And then my first book is Small Plates and Sweet Treats. And then the second book, which is still untitled, uh, will be out fall 2019. Beautiful. Well, we look forward to that. Thank you so much for being here on the Creative Live podcast. We are photographers. Thank you. Thank for you for having me. I'm Kenneth Klosterman, and you've been listening to We Are Photographers from Creative Live. We premiered the podcast with this live episode as part of our very first Podcasting Week conference, where we brought together the best podcast creators and educators to teach you everything from ideation to production, post-production, and distribution and marketing. 
If you've always wanted to create a podcast or learn how to get more subscribers, it truly is the most comprehensive podcasting education out there. We've got podcasting greats Julie Shapiro, Lewis Howes, Tim Ferriss, Alex De Palma, Srinivas Rao, Jordan Harbinger, and our very own Chase Jarvis. So go to creativelive.com and look for conferences, podcasting week, to check out the full lineup. You can listen to all of our We Are Photographers episodes at creativelive.com slash podcast on desktop or mobile, as well as subscribe on your podcast player of choice. If you like this episode, tell a friend. That's how almost all of us learn about new podcasts. At Creative Live, we believe there's a creator and a photographer in all of us. And yes, that means you. And these are our stories.